This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. First time that I saw this film here, but it's pretty accurate on the situation in Honduras. Uh, the situation of violence in Honduras is something that we face every single day. Corruption in the police department makes it difficult for uh, women and children who are victims of violence to have a safe place to go. The lack of refuge uh, and shelters is another situation that they face. And so families and children who are suffering from violence in Honduras will look to escape to the United States and uh, gain that safety there. Does anybody have any questions or comments? I think it would be easier to, to know what's in your head so if uh, you just gave me some questions. Um, I would have to speak on Honduras, which is more violent than Guatemala. Uh, Honduras is the murder capital of the world with more than 90 murders per 100,000 people. Uh, Honduras has held that title for three years straight. Basically everybody in Honduras is touched by violence of some degree. Uh, in the cities it's worse because you have the drug lords and the gangs there. There are sections of Tegucigalpa in which there's no business because the gangs have been extorting the people. There, I know stories of a pastor who works with an NGO who uh, was extorted to give money and he lost his business. And so, I mean, to give statistics, actual numbers, I mean, it's, that's difficult. But what I can say is just about everybody is touched in some way, shape. In Honduras, 71% uh, of the homes are single mothers. In Honduras, more than 50% of all girls have one or two babies by the time they are 18 years old. Most of them are raped by family members. Uh, two out of three girls will be sexually assaulted before they turn 18. We specifically work, we created the first ever victims program in Honduras, and we work with the authorities to rescue victims of violence. Um, parents, I have cases of, of parents selling, taking their daughters and to Guatemala over the border to sell them into sexual slavery in Guatemala. And uh, we have the situation of the gangs. My friend Teresa works with the gangs to try to get them out of the gangs. And just in the last few days, four of her boys have been murdered in prison in Tegucigalpa. Uh, one was just two nights ago and three were like three or four days ago. Um, when it comes to, I mean, every town there's, there's networks of sex traffickers in every town. There's bars and cantinas and they bring the girls around and they transfer them to one place to another. Uh, people come into villages, in the remote villages, and offer jobs uh, in the United States or in Guatemala or in Mexico or even within Honduras. And parents will let their children go with these people and they end up getting sold into sexual slavery. Um, so, I mean, to escape this, uh, because there's really no help, if you dial 911 in Honduras, a police car is not coming. Seriously, they'll tell you, if they can, they'll tell you to come tomorrow. So, the, there are many different reasons, and the violence is one of the reasons. It touches almost everybody in Honduras. 
my assistant's brother just six months ago was shot dead by two AK-47s, guys with AK-47s on a motorcycle, down the street from my house, and I don't live in the city. Any other questions? Well, it's impossible to say what a normal day is like in my house. We have 19 children, girls pregnant by rape and incest and their babies. We have um, disabled children because in our rescue of women and children, we found that there really aren't children's homes that take, there are children's homes that take girls who are sexually assaulted but not with babies. And we only do rape and incest pregnancies. Um, any time of the day or night, the police or the uh, fiscal can show up at my door and drop off children or women who are victims of violence. We also have one of the only witness protection places in the country where we actually hide people who are in danger, but we can only do it for a couple days. Um, in five cases, to my knowledge, there have been people acting to assassinate me. Um, by the grace of God, I'm still alive today. When those cases are over, the threat is over. Um, we did two set, such a good job in Honduras in tripling the number of denuncias, which is a criminal report in violence against women and children. Uh, only about 30% of cases are ever reported. Only about 12% of those cases ever make it to the front door of a court. Only 1% ever gets condemnation in the court. We tripled, we went from 185 denuncias a year to over 600 in our area and with a 71% conviction rate. And uh, basically, because we got to the point with the last 29%, um, we just did too good a job. It's either you don't know who the perpetrator is, or you know who he is, don't know where he is, or it's corruption and negligence. And at the same time that the rector of the university's son was assassinated by four police officers, I had submitted a 300-page report documenting 100 cases of uh, negligence and corruption by police authorities. and a hit was put out on me, and so I had to close my office three years ago. But as of two weeks ago, the new Fiscalia de Mujer Nacional, the new National Prosecutor for Women Against Children, came to my house and said that we have funds from the United Nations to start it again. And so we're starting this. As soon as I get land on Monday, we're back to work in rescuing victims actively, not just passively, but authorities. And so, I mean, it's an everyday thing when he was talking about low profile. Lucky you, I don't get low profile. Uh, my, my face is out there every day, and um, it's scary sometimes, but we have to do it. But we can't protect these victims that run away, that come here to the United States. There is no protection for them in Honduras. And as American citizens in a country that has a great deal of benefits and uh, freedoms, I think we're obligated morally to help these victims achieve uh, sanctuary. And uh, if we don't do that, then we don't deserve what we do have. That's my personal opinion. Are there other questions? Yes, in the back. Uh, how, how large of a structural overhaul politically do you think it would take in order to stop this culture of violence that seems to like it seems to be a never-ending cycle. It is a never-ending cycle. Part of the problem is the drug cartels. Part of the problem is the, uh, the gangs that are there. And there's a lot of money being paid to people. Um, 
if you have money in Honduras, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's going to take a complete overhaul of the system. There's no child welfare system right now. It's being built from the bottom up. Uh, you guys are working with that, and DENAF is the official organization or institution. We're working with that. Um, it, it's not an easily resolved situation. It's just, it permeate, permeates all of society. And there's nowhere to hide because everywhere you go, there are corrupt officials. There are a lot of good police officers. There are a lot of good government people, but they're stifled by those in power who are financed in illegal activities. Other questions? Yes. response is the domestic law in Honduras. First of all, domestic violence is not a crime. It is considered a special law for prevention of violence. It does not become a crime until a protection order is violated or they try to actually kill her or something like that. And even then, there's no guarantee that they'll ever raise it to that. As far as shelters, that's a joke. No. I'm going to tell you right now, I have one of the only functioning shelters in the country. <laughs> my, sh my shelter is only for seven to ten days. Okay, There's a shelter in Copan, but it's not functioning well. There was a shelter built by Canada in Olancho, and that collapsed for lack of funding. They've been trying to build one in Tegucigalpa for seven years. It's not built yet. The Fiscalia de Mujer Nacional, that is the National Prosecutor for Crimes Against Women for Reasons of Gender, was in my house two Saturdays ago for three hours. And she said that there is nothing. In fact, she didn't even know that we had the shelter. She's a new prosecutor. They, they swapped the positions. But it's a joke. The police don't enforce it. The police are supposed to put the protection order in. They don't. And uh, I just had a case in February of a guy who had like five domestic violence charges against him, cases, individual denuncias with the same woman. He tried to run her down with his taxi four times on her way to work. The American she worked for called me from the other side of the country, and I said, take her to the police station, get her a forensic exam, you know, raise the penal process in, in, against him because he tried to commit murder, find out if there was a protection order in place, and get him arrested because they have what's called 24-hour infragancia. And so what that means is within 24 hours of the act, they can arrest without an arrest warrant. And so she called me back, the missionary, two hours later, and says, we're in the colonel's office. We're talking a colonel, okay? Not a sergeant, not a little guy. A colonel who says he can't send anybody to arrest the guy until he talks to the prosecutor. And they don't know the laws. The guy got off. There was no protection order. With five denuncias, there should have been a protection order. Shouldn't have been five denuncias. Should have been one plus a protection order. And when he violated it, levanta proceso penal, that they raised the penal process. No, it should take first. If they catch him within 24 hours, but they can only hold him for 24 hours. 
because he has not committed a crime. He's committed an act of violence. Okay, so domestic violence is an absolute joke. They either don't know the law, don't care about doing what they're supposed to do, and there are no shelters. There's a couple that function very, very low. And I only have space for about three or four women. Yeah, the article from the Decatur Daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Well, yes, we created that program, but that was when we first started in 2006. That article is dated in 2006. There's another one from last year in April, but it doesn't talk in detail about anything. It doesn't say that we only have room for, for women and that we're one of the only functioning in the country. And we also can only house them for up to seven, ten days. Homeland Security used my article to say that I wasn't an expert on violence in Honduras. <laughs> so I sent, what, about 50 of the diplomas and things that I have there in the certification. I teach the police, the investigators, the prosecutors, and the judges. I'm nationally certified to teach the law and procedures in Honduras. So uh, I've been working with the CARES Clinic for six years now. So yeah, while I'm here, let's do that. Let's get that affidavit done so that you have it on file. And, and Beth, can we please take my resume and all the stuff that I sent to Gabrielle and them this last week and get it in one file so it's right there. Yes, domestic violence, I don't care. They're not going to come after me on that. Yeah, sex trafficking. Gangs, murder, extortion, kidnapping, no, I don't want an affidavit public on that, but for domestic violence, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? No? You know everything there is to know. Yes, Father. By the grace of God, I'll have to say. Um, Yes, briefly, I was a victim of rape. I was pregnant by that rape. I was a victim of domestic violence. I have a daughter, 28 years old, whose father is the man who raped me. To specialized foster care in the state of Massachusetts for nine years as a single mother, advocating in front of Congress in Massachusetts um, you know, for violence against women and children. The Lord has a sign on my side that says, if you're a victim, talk to this lady since I was 16. I've been counseling victims since I was 16. Went to Honduras uh, in 2004 just to film a mission in the work that they do. When it was time to leave, felt like I was leaving home, not going home. I cried hysterically watching Tegucigalpa disappear below me. Uh, came home, my husband who was pastor, uh, he and I uh, had the same feeling, led that God was leading us to go to Honduras. Why? We had no idea. Sold everything we had, quit all of our jobs, hopped a plane and landed in Honduras. Within two months, the rains had um, destroyed the police post in front of our house. And uh, the Lord told us, and our entire ministry in Honduras starts by rebuilding that posta. I know that sounds crazy, but if you're a Christian, you understand the word of God is the word of God when he speaks to you. So we did it. And a colonel and all his police officers and patrulla, their big guns and everything showed up in my house one day, scared us, and um, said that we're aware of your activities. I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. 
and said that they wanted to work with us and change the image of the police and he'd have dinner at our house and pray with us and I shared my history and he said there was a huge problem with violence against women and children and he talked to the Minister of Security who was Romero at the time and um, uh, asked us to create the first ever victims program and so I spent studying the law, the culture, the procedures, all of that programs here wrote it up, handed it to him in January 2006, and he did not ask. The, the colonel said, let me take you downstairs to the office. We have a building for you. You're now chief of special crimes. And one thing led to another, and that's here we are today. So that's the hand of God. So anybody else, questions? The situation of violence in Honduras is beyond the imagination that anybody could think. Yes, sir? What do you think the best avenue for improvement in the future? Is it education of the youth? Is it? I think it has to be an integral plan. I think we have to work in um, raising up leaders within the community, which is one of the things we're doing, is teaching people uh, to stand up. People are afraid. They're afraid their neighbor is going to kill them with a machete or a gun. We have to teach them to be valiant people. We have to teach the leaders in the institutions and the government to be valiant people and not corrupt, to have character. I have a weekly radio show to a half a million people that I've had for nine years, and we work on that, and we talk about character and strengthening family. I think we also, it's wonderful to teach the people, which is what we do, on what their rights are and what the laws are and what to do. But if they know what to do and then go to the police station, the guy says, you don't belong here. An eight-month-old, eight-month pregnant lady, four hours travel to Tolonga to put in a report for domestic violence, covered with bruises. Five o'clock at night, and the and the, the agent of the dick said to her, "You have to put it in Arica, where you're from, not here in Tolonga." Law says any official, I can take the denuncia according to the law, because I'm an NGO that works in that theme. And he threw out on the street with my refuge, 50 yards from his door, her door, and threw her out in the street to four hours going back, no buses. She walked to the exit to Talunga and asked the poster to get her a ride, Halon. And he said, what are you doing here? And he said, no, 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 no. He says, well, call Gracie. Brought her back. I argued with that agent right there on the front porch of the police station until I called the colonel. And so, I mean, they can know the rules, but then the authorities have to do their job. So then you also have to teach the authorities, which is what we do too. But then they don't have the resources. The post is, there's not every place. You could go two, three hours. You know what it's like, two or three hours just to get to a police post where there's two guys in a little house and there's no phone and there's no car and there's no motorcycle, maybe a radio, and uh, there's no help. So all of these different levels have to be changed in order for there to be a change. And then you have to change the willingness of them too. Some of them don't care about domestic violence. Some of them, I've had agents of the Danny say, hitting on girls while they're taking their rape statements. She's pretty. I mean, I, I could tell you horror stories for hours. So any other questions over here?
like to see a lot more help there. It's from our government to the organizations, the institutions that are doing the job. I work with the U.S. Embassy. I've collaborated on cases with them. But they're really, really limited in what they're allowed to do or what they can do, and they're limited in people. Uh, I think, I, you know, I don't really get the chance to think about what I want the United States to do because I'm always thinking about Honduras. So that's the first time I've had to think about it. One of the things I think should change is our immigration law. I think there are a lot of Hondurans who I was talking to one of the gentlemen here. They only want to come for a few months to work and send some money back and support their families. That's one of the reasons why they come. And then they get stuck here. You know, because if they go back, it's, they can't come back here. You know, and they're separated from their children. And, um, I mean, if we could find some sort of decent reform to bring in, the, let the good people come in and not let the bad people come in. I mean, it sounds really general. Again, I, I'm always focused on Honduras and thinking about Honduras. I hadn't thought about what my government could do to help more. Anything else? Well, that's good. You're all informed. <laughs> but um, I want to say I really appreciate the work that this university does. Um, I've admired your work from a distance for years. I'm so honored to meet you today. And we have to talk because we have to work together. And um, this, this foster care work that's going on with these young boys, I think this is wonderful work. There are a lot of people who are doing a lot of good work, but we need to unite to make the work stronger. And uh, that's an, an aspiration of mine. Yes, sir? That's something that we're working on. We've been actually working with the government. We've actually had a great deal of interns, psychological and social work interns. We provide internships. That's another thing while I'm here. We want to provide a legal internship um, uh, with our ministry, uh, make that available. Uh, as president and co-founder, I can make that decision. So, <laughs> but. Uh, we are in the process. We tried to hire a psychologist in December, but she took a job in Tegu. She didn't want to go out into the mountains. But um, we worked with the authorities. We worked with INFI and their social workers and, and psychologists that they had there. We've worked with some other um, organizations that have them also, and we've had interns. But we're in the process of actually hiring a full-time psychologist in our ministry.